Nice to have you with us this week. We are going to tackle some difficult stuff, as we always try to on this show, but also with an optimistic spirit, if you will. The theme of the week is entrepreneurship in the pandemic age. Is this a temporary disruption or a permanent change? Have things changed forever? We have a couple of amazing guests this week. I'll get to them in a moment. One here joining me in studio and one on the phone. I try at my own peril on this show to incorporate a faith-based angle. And you don't have to be of any particular faith or creed to, to listen in. I happen to be Jewish. I bring that frame of reference. But you don't even have to be Judeo-Christian. Any kind of perspective. You can even be atheist and get a little bit into the in the show we'll talk about how that can be a valuable perspective in these times as as well and in my prism of reference we talk about the section of the bible that we are reading each week there are 52 sections and this week is the parsha the section of the bible is kitavo and kitavo last week was kitetse which is when you go out kind of going into 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 battle and life and and this is when you come back when you enter and it's about entering into the land of Israel. And this has always been a really difficult chapter of the Bible for me personally. As some of you know, have listened to the show before, I've been through some pretty extreme ups and downs in the arc of my life. And this is the Parsha, the section of the Bible where we hear about these extraordinary blessings that can come into our life if we, you know, follow the right path and we are good Samaritans and and follow the commandments and so forth, but it also goes through these extraordinary curses, a a litany of horrible, uh, tragic curses that can befall us if we go off the path, so to speak, including, as is appropriate to this time and age, disease. And it talks about being cursed in the city, cursed in the field, if we if we don't uh, follow the the path of the righteous path. And right now, I think it's tempting to think of ourselves as being punished in this age of coronavirus and this age of turmoil. And, and, uh, personally, you know, I was talking to a friend who's a rabbi shortly before the show, and he was talking about ministering to a, a parishioner that had lost both of their parents in South Africa as a result of the pandemic and been here in, in the United States and not been able to, to visit even and say, and say goodbye. That, that type of pain is all around us. And I want to start by acknowledging that because we're going to go shortly into the so what, meaning we are going through suffering. We are going through pain. Now, what do we do next? What, where is the concealed blessing to use a, Kind of a mystical Jewish way to, to say it. Another way to put it is, why did why is this happening? What's the reason that we get out of this? So, but before we go to that, so what level? I want to acknowledge to everyone who's listening the pain that's out there. Send my virtual condolences for everybody that's listening. I don't know the pain that you might be feeling, loss of loved ones, sickness, 
job insecurity, financial insecurity, pain and suffering is real. And it it's still our obligation in the context of that to think about the blessings, the hidden blessings the that come from that that covenant of uh, staying on the on the right path. Now, let me bring us back down to earth because equal footing is not only about us being on equal footing in a debate and having two different perspectives and not talking over each other and learning from those perspectives. But it's also about the equal footing between the banal and the spiritual, the the mundane, so to speak, and the and the higher aspect of uh, of our intellect and learning. Okay, the number is seven one eight. Three zero three nine zero nine zero. We're accepting calls throughout the show. You can call and ask about the topic of entrepreneurship in the time of the pandemic, business in these difficult times. You can also share something about the way COVID nineteen has affected your life. It doesn't have to be in the professional realm. And seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero is the public line to call in live. If you feel shy about talking live on the radio, you can also text me with questions you may have for our guests or something you want to share. The number is 917-428-4062. Okay, so without further ado, I want to welcome our esteemed guests, successful venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. Here in the studio with me is Ezreal Rappaport, Ezzy. Ezzy is a serial entrepreneur, an investor. He's co-owner of Malian Holdings. He has brings a broad perspective on the challenges and opportunities across multiple industries. Due to his very religious upbringing, and I'm using your words, Ezzy, I hope I, I don't uh, misspeak, uh, you know, you didn't finish what many of us would call a kind of a formal education, but I love the way you put it that you're a uh, esteemed and successful graduate. I'm putting in the adjective there of the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> so welcome, Ezzy. On the line with us, Liesl Chang, and if uh, these are difficult, all three of us have odd names. You know, if I if I said my full name on the air, you'd you'd fall over. I have like a twenty plus uh, character name. So Ezzy Rappaport's on, and Liesl Chang. Liesl said the way to pronounce her name is like diesel fuel, but but uh, with an L up front. So I'm gonna, I'm following that advice. Liesl Chang is the co-founder and CEO of Atomic Returns, and has led logistics at a number of well-known e-commerce companies, including Casper. Plated and Capsule Pharmacy. Liesl is a graduate of the University of Michigan and is also an award-winning musician. So, Ezzy and Liesl, welcome. You are on the air. Okay. First of all, can you, uh, Liesl, are you there? Can you hear us? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Welcome. And, uh, awesome. And a little sound check there with Ezzy. I think I'm on. You certainly are. Uh, all right, guys. So, I know from talking to you before that you have some shared opinions around what's going on right now. And, you know, it's it's interesting we're doing the show tonight, not only because of Labor Day, which is inspiring it, because it's obviously a show about the business environment in the context of the pandemic, but also it's a day where there was a bloodbath in the market. I mean, the market was down 600 points plus in the NASDAQ, whatever it was, 800 plus points for the uh, Dow Jones. Amazon, which I know is a stock you must pay attention to, Liesl, given your field of endeavor, was down on 150, 200 points. It, it, it fe- there's so much chaos out there. And I guess the first question I want to put on the table here is, is it ever going to go back? Is this a rubber band that got stretched out and is broken? Or are things going to normalize from a business perspective? What, what do you think, Essie? So normalize is a 
It's a uh, it's a big word. Uh, is, are things ever normal? <laughs> um, but there's definitely going to be a bounce back. Um, probably for some people sooner than they think, and for others a little bit longer than they think. But we're going to bounce back. Uh, it's not going to look the same afterwards. But uh, definitely not worth despairing over. I like that, and I think I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit later in the show and, and tell us a little bit of the story of of kind of probably feeling beaten by despair, maybe at the end of the at the end of the road, and then experience an extraordinary bounce back. So a little teaser for uh, for later in in the show. Liesel, do you agree? Are things really going to bounce back? Should we just batten down the hatches and and wait this out, or do we need to fundamentally rethink our business careers, our entrepreneurial endeavors, et cetera? Of of being in e-commerce in that filter, I personally think that things have fundamentally changed. Um, And, you know, whether they bounce back or not, I do not think that things will ever be the way they are. Uh, You know, e-commerce in particular, we have seen e-commerce had a penetration with retail at above 10 to 11 percent, you know, pretty much close to a decade. It didn't increase that much year over year. This year is the first year that I think it hovered over 40 percent of all retail. I think it does take some pretty big events to create this inflection point or fundamental shift in behavior that, frankly, does not the future does not look like where where it was, you know, a year ago. And and I, I don't see us going back to where things are, and, and if, especially for the key industries that we're talking about, which is retail, e-commerce in particular, um, certainly travel and tourism and hospitality. That's amazing. So you're saying before the pandemic, if I got those numbers right, like one out of 10 retail transactions were happening in the virtual world, and now that's like four out of 10. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's four out of 10. It, you know, it, just for perspective, pre-pandemic world in China – you know, it's, it was already over 30, 35, 40% of, of transactions were happening online. So having that be the behavior in a quote-unquote normal environment is not unheard of. So in a certain sense, that to me, to bring it back to this concept of like concealed blessings and like now what? What do we do with this harsh reality that has befallen the world? That to me feels like perhaps a positive trend, I mean, for a lot of businesses. But if you're a street-level retailer and maybe wasn't, ready to be online or you feel like you're in a business that's that is now has no ability to deliver your products or services virtually are you s out of luck i mean as he you got you and liesel have common ex- professional experience in e-commerce you guys are both deeply embedded in e-commerce and i get how you know if you're a, a techie and you're focused on a startup in that area might this might feel like a, a good and positive direction for your business but it's got to be hurting and maybe killing a ton of small businesses out there, no? So I'm going to jump in here. Um, yes, absolutely it will. And I think it's uh, everybody's job to make sure that it's not their business that gets killed. And I didn't mention this to you earlier when we spoke, but um, we have a couple of retail locations, actually, and <clears throat> they're actually doing better than ever. And... Part of that is because so many things broke down because of this crazy increase in uh, e-commerce. 
uh, it's almost impossible to get an overnight shipment and let alone the two-hour delivery windows have disappeared largely for now. And a lot of people are forced to actually go to retail locations if they need something immediately. So it has created opportunity for us uh, on, on, on a retail level. And we've also been able to start uh, to compete more with our small businesses on an e-commerce level. Usually, you know, it's Amazon or Die. But nowadays, you know, where Amazon is out of stock on a lot of product and there's delivery delays, it has made room for a lot of other retailers that have previously not been able to be even seen, uh, let alone compete with Amazon. That's that's encouraging to hear. You know, I, I teased at the concept of how on a show that has a faith-based element, we were going to talk about the value of, of, uh, of the atheistic perspective, and it, it brings to mind uh, a, a saying that uh, the the previous uh, Rebbe, Yosef uh, Yitzhak Schneerson, would say that you can you can also learn from the atheistic perspective because, you know, if someone's drowning, you want to be an atheist. Right. I mean, you don't wait for God to fix it for you. You you jump in, you adapt. And right now, I think that's very appropriate to your comment as he you you have this pandemic is here to stay at least for some significant period of time. And like we were talking about before the show, it's not an American problem. It's a world problem. It's not a New York problem. It's not a particular community problem. It's everybody's problem. And so we need to adjust, adapt and and learn and and break molds that, that we had before. So. Uh, I hear you kind of going a little bit to Liesl's side of the the uh, the, the the coin there. We have a, we have a couple of calls um, waiting. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and continue to talk about entrepreneurship in the age of the pandemic. Is this a permanent disruption or a temporary disruption? The number to call in live is seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. If you're shy on the air, you can also text in your question or comments for our wonderful guests, Ezzy Rappaport and Liesl Chang, successful venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. You can also text your questions to 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, MDCS Dermatology provides the most advanced surgical and non-surgical skin treatments in the New York metro area. The dermatologists and skin cancer surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So, Schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient Long Island or Manhattan locations. Go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM, where you can schedule an in-person visit or a virtual video visit from the comfort and safety of your own home. That's www.mdcs.live or 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Hi there, you're back on Equal Footing with Dove Tusman, our guest, Ezzy Rappaport, 
and Liesl Chang. We have a couple of calls waiting. We are talking about entrepreneurship, business in the age of the pandemic. Is this a temporary disruption or have things changed forever? We're going to take a call from Los Angeles. Los Angeles, you are on. Yes, hi. Um, I have hi a there. question for uh, first-time entrepreneurs. Um, I have 15 years as an intrapreneur, but um, just starting out as an entrepreneur. And what are the recommendations um, you guys have for people just starting out now? That is a great question because uh, we were talking earlier in the day about whether this is the right time to, to start and the hazards and opportunities in starting a new venture in this environment. May I ask what type of business? So maybe Liesl and Ezzy will be a little bit more, a little bit more grounded in their response. Sure. Um, I'm creating an on-demand alteration service, so um, an Uber for alterations. Very cool. Liesl, why don't you... It's it's funny this came up based uh, given our conversation earlier in the day on dry cleaning, right? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> apropos. What would you say to our caller from Los Angeles? Good time to get involved, and how and any advice on getting involved in in that uh, business segment of kind of an Uber for alterations in this uh, market context? Yeah, I you know we talked a little bit about this earlier. I think when times were flush, you know there was definitely a sentiment where. You know, everybody wanted to be a founder, right? <laughs> and, you know, and let's be like entrepreneurship, it, you know, was the thing to do. And what I have always felt, and certainly I apply it to myself also, that if, if you are starting a business in this time, you, you better sure, t- you, you have to make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And, and what I mean by that is pick a very large problem and, and solve it. Um, and, I think that if anyone goes in with that mindset, uh, you would win no matter what. Just doing it in the pandemic or during a pandemic, I think it would just even give you a leg up when we emerge from it because you've actually solved something that was fundamentally broken. So I think in a lot of ways, this is the best time to start a business because, frankly, it kind of, for lack of a better term, it separates the men from the boys a little bit. Ezzy, you're a, you're a venture capitalist, so maybe uh, maybe you and the caller from Los Angeles can uh, chat after the show. Who knows what could come of it? But you said you said something earlier today. I think was one of the best things I've I've heard in in business, and it has to do with paranoia. You want to fill us in? Yeah, I mean that's a general statement that really applies to any business, but specifically during a pandemic like this, uh, you need to be extremely optimistic and extremely paranoid at the same time and that's what's going to help you be successful uh you need to be you know you need to be optimistic you need to believe in 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 the great big world and an opportunity but you always have to think that the worst can possibly happen and you have to build your business in a way that you protect yourself i do actually have a question for you though are you looking at it from the perspective of creating an app, like a software, or uh, are you more focused on the physical part of the alteration business? Um, great question. Um, the goal will be to get funding in order to create an app or just do logistics or even do um, a web app. 
um, looking at the costing and traction and funding, it's more important to get the understanding of the consumer. Um, and to Liesl's point, having the opportunity to solve that problem. Um, the problem is solved, or the problem is solved through this, but um, the question becomes, um, and we've been working on our pilot program, um, which was supposed to start March 13th, um, and I'm actually in New York with a Los Angeles area code, um, so um, which is nice because it's a metropolis and there's easier locations. But, yes, I want to do an app. Um, I just um, want to be able to um, get traction and revenue, and one cannot necessarily connect with the other. So that's actually another question for you would be in terms of funding, like how how much revenue and how much traction do you need to do in order to get funding to create those kind of fairly expensive app developments? New York with a Los Angeles area code. I'm glad you asked that question because that was on our docket. We were debating earlier as a group today about to what extent funding is flowing right now. And I was fascinated to hear Ezzy and Liesl really agree wholeheartedly on this. And it sounds to me, Ezzy, that you see a lot of allocation of capital right now. There's, It's not on the sidelines. And what what are people looking for right now that might be relevant to, to the caller and, and to the audience in general? So without going into too much detail, I do not believe in creating app-first businesses anymore. Um, there's more than 20 million apps out there. And there's a lot of Uber of apps. And if you think of yourself, you know, nowadays the average person with a smartphone is probably a net app deleter rather rather than uh, looking to download more apps. And really the only apps that people are downloading right now are apps of their banking apps, airline apps, and apps that they're using for their daily interactions. So if you're looking to create an app and hoping to attract business that way, it's going to be extremely difficult for you to get noticed on an app store. And I generally strongly advise against people creating apps uh, without having the business model first. And what I mean by that is that figure out the alteration business part, and the app should serve as a tool to facilitate that business. And the app should make it easier for people to actually transact with you or interact with you, but it should you sh- should never rely on people finding your app and using your app to get to know you and your business because statistically that won't happen. That is great advice, uh, Ezzy. And a quick question, and and, and we're going to move on to the to the next caller here. Again, the number seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. If you want to pick the brains of Liesl Chang and Ezzy Rappaport, serial and successful entrepreneur and venture capitalists, Ezzy, what does that mean? Does that mean you start with a physical location, or does that mean you start on the web uh, and then go to the app world? Can you ground that a little bit for us? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm going to use a car, wa- uh, car wash, for example. So assuming that you have a car wash business and, you know, you have friends and family and you started interacting with them and you're washing people's cars and then you create this app to help you facilitate the business. And basically, uh, you can give out cards and, you know, you can just say, hey, you can easily just schedule this service on an app. But... Uh, 
the service has to come first, and the service has to exist before the app exists. Now, there are going to be times when an app just becomes successful, but generally starting with an app and hoping that people will find you that way is difficult. exceedingly difficult. New York with the LA area code. Anything else for Liesl and Ezzy? One last question, um, which, Ezzy, you were just talking about. Okay, I totally agree with you. What are your recommendations, especially post-pandemic, to expose yourself as a brand um, and as a company? So it's a loaded question. I'm just going to give you uh, something. I, I actually think you're potentially onto something because people distancing right now, and that definitely makes people less likely to walk into a tailor shop or into a cleaners to get their alterations done. So people are probably more uh, open to the idea of having uh, some sort of a remote service that, you know, specifically if it's done in a, in a good way. But I would focus more on uh, getting the, you know, the logistics of what you're offering and making sure that you have a really good product and maybe focusing on a, on a relatively small neighborhood such as Manhattan or something initially and trying to build it up uh, so, uh, almost by word of mouth and from the ground up. Great advice. So we're going to move on to the next caller. Thanks for calling in, New York with Thank LA. You. Good. <laughs> Good luck with your business. Thank you very much. All right. You've been very patient. Looks like a Brooklyn number, but I've uh, learned just now <laughs> that I may have the location wrong. How are you? Uh, are you talking to me? I Yes, I am. Welcome to, uh, to Equal Footing. Yeah, it's not Brooklyn. It's Queens. Um, and I have a couple things. Um, you were talking early about our suffering. I question why we never think about the tremendous suffering of animals, or don't they matter? I think that's fair. You know, I, I, in, I can just most articulately bring a, a Jewish frame of reference, but again, everybody's welcome in this discussion. From my perspective, when some other being is suffering, I think it's the right thing to to completely be present and aware and feel that pain, and whether that's a, another human being or, or any other living thing. On the other hand, I think, and it goes to the theme of this show, when we're going through something ourselves, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our family, we owe it to our society to also think about, okay, what do I do now? What do we do to adjust? What do we do next and not wallow in our own suffering? That delicate balance of being present for others and feeling the pain of others while not wallowing in our own pain is a very difficult one. Yeah. And I think it's particularly difficult. I'm a, as some of you may know, listening, I'm talked about it a little bit before. I'm a, a devout animal lover. My, in fact, my dog is with me. I would say probably 95 percent of the time. And I. Feel and what is dogs? And what is dogs spelled backwards? I, do I feel his absence in the studio uh, right now. So, is that does that address your your question, Queens? No, I have another one. Shoot. I do suffer tremendously for animals. Now, um, and even in good times and bad times, they suffer tremendously, and we don't address it or bring it up. My second question... Oh, God bless you for bringing it up. Yes, and you're welcome. The second thing about this last caller who was looking for funding, I believe, I'm a doctor, Dr. Stone, PhD, I believe, and we know, 
and several others, doctors and scholars and Yale University know, we already have, we're in a vaccine madness world. We already have what works. This um, chloride with zinc. It cured the president of Brazil. So why don't we ask the government to stop spending trillions upon trillions of dollars to come up with a vaccine, the magical cure, when we already have it? Could we not use that money in a better way? I am not a doctor as you are, but I would say the wonderful thing about the society that we're in is absolutely we can demand that of our government. You can demand anything you want any time of your government, and we are only a couple of months away of, of that making its way into the uh, the new administration, the new choice for leadership we have. So I, I think make your voice. I have no idea whether that's accurate or not because it's not my uh, my domain of expertise, but I encourage you to put that out there just as you have on this show, if that's what you believe. And I'm sure there's at least one person listening who's, who's going to take that and run with it. Thank you for joining us, Dr. In Queens. You're, well, you're welcome. Have a great night. All right. We are, t- we are going to take another caller in a moment, and you've been very patient. Uh, and this one I know I'm going to get right. This is somebody dialing from unknown. <laughs> I suspect on the screen that means uh, it's an IP phone. Um, all right, so we're, we're going to take a break in a minute. We're going to take other calls. Again, the number is 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090 to get on equal footing live here. If you're shy about being on the radio live, you can also text me, Dove Tusman, a question or a comment for our guests at 917-428-4062. When we come back, we're going to talk about what for anybody who lives in an urban area, particularly here, particularly here in New York, is one of the favorite subjects: uh, real estate. What's going to happen? Is, is our city's gone? <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about that in a moment, and we back on equal footing. Equal Footing is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, MDCS Dermatology combines state-of-the-art technology with a personalized and friendly approach to skincare for adults and children. Whether you need medical treatment or have a cosmetic concern, the doctors at MDCS will provide you with the best treatment options. Go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376 to schedule an appointment today. Here's what patients have to say about MDCS Dermatology. Charles from Garden City says, The balance of patient care and COVID-19 safety was perfect. I went straight from my car to the exam room and skipped the receptionist and waiting room. Ellie from Great Neck says, Dr. Garshik was the most thorough dermatologist I've ever seen for my annual skin cancer screening. Jennifer from Long Beach says, I had a brown mole removed from my forehead and now I have perfect skin. Thank you, Dr. Bernstein. So, schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient Long Island or Manhattan locations, or schedule a virtual video visit from the comfort and safety of your own home with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists by clicking on Virtual Visit at www.mdcs.live. Call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. Keep it on, keep it on, too. 
Hi there, you're back on Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman and my guests Ezzy Rappaport and Liesl Chang. We're talking about entrepreneurship in the age of the pandemic. Is this a temporary disruption or have things changed forever? The number to call in live is 718-303-9090. You can also text in your questions at 917-428-4062. Liesl, we were talking earlier in the day about you setting up your business from the beginning, really pre-pandemic, as a, a distributed workforce. I think your co-founders in Massachusetts, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Things. So you were you were ahead of the curve on this, and I know a lot of companies have have had to now do this successfully. Have things permanently changed uh, in terms of distributed workforces, the way we organize, where we work? Are we going to have to commute anywhere anymore? Is commercial real estate dead? Yeah, you know and. My co-founder and I, we were very keen on the distributed workforce model for, for a variety of reasons, you know, and uh, not just on in terms of overhead, but we felt like the breadth of talent that we could get would be that much greater. Um, so, frankly, when the pandemic hit and everybody went remote, you know, it didn't affect us too deeply because we were always remote first, you know, and the especially in the software industry, remote is like software startups, remote first. Um, has been going on for at least, you know, 10 plus years. And there have been, uh, well documented case studies of companies who have done, been very profitable using that model. That being said, I know there's a lot of companies right now who have transitioned to primarily remote first, um, or, you know, or remote for most, first for the majority of its workforce. You know, that's hard to say. I think there's a lot of benefits for a lot of, t- a lot of different types of companies. Um, certainly with software, I think that it really is dependent on what the company is and the kind of roles in that company on whether they could actually effectively do their jobs from, uh, remotely or does that something that, that they can do on a part-time remote basis? Part-time meaning, you know, being remote part of the time and being in the office part of the time. So I think it really varies industry by industry. But I don't think that um, being a remote-first company, I think there's there's tremendous uh, benefits to to that business model. Ezzy, do you think that really works? Do you think distributed workforces are as efficient? Is this rubber band maybe going to bounce back? It may be efficient, but people don't like it. Um, people thought that they like it. Um, there's definitely, there's always going to be people that are going to be successful in any type of environment. And I think Liesl is one of those people. Um, however, the average person needs to, some people just need to get away from home. Some people want to interact with other people and they enjoy the chit chat with their coworkers and a lot of great ideas really come from physical interaction. And as much as it seems right now that this is gone forever, uh, to a large degree, people are going to come back to offices. This is probably an unfair question for both of you, but I know you both hang your hats in the New York area. Commercial real estate in New York <laughs> or, in, or even Manhattan more particularly, are we looking at the 1970s here again? I mean, how, how, how long is this pain going to last? Lisa, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, selfishly, I think I talked about this earlier. Selfishly, I would love to see Midtown and the business districts come back, you know, bounce back. And I want to see what it was like, you know, 
10 years ago, right, when and when things were booming, um, I don't think it's going to be the way it was. I think it would evolve, and I think there could be some really interesting adaptations, but to assume that it's going to go back to how it was and, quite frankly, be vibrant in the way it was, I think that is unrealistic. Um, and, and I don't think it's fair to any of us to want to expect that because I think we all need to be open to change and adaptation. I mean, what do they say? That's the strongest ones who survive or the ones who survive are not the smartest or the strongest. It's the ones who are who adapt. Right. Um, so I think, you know, <laughs> looking back fondly with nostalgia sometimes can hinder you. As he, before the show earlier today, I was amazed to learn about some common ground that we share. And I didn't say it at the time when you shared your story around September 11th, uh, I, that, that Tuesday, September 11th through that Thursday, September 13th of 2001, I was right near where you were, not living through exactly what you're about to share with this, this audience, but down at World Financial Center One waiting for there to be people to care for, which of course, as we knew that, no, there, there really weren't other than, uh, firemen needing eye washes and so forth and it was uh it was a day that for all of us that were in new york felt like it changed the world it felt you know and and to bring it into the framework of this conversation i remember that you know people talking about the fact that skyscrapers would never be built again that people wouldn't want to get on a plane and go between cities and travel for anything other than the most essential of reasons that real estate was forever going to be depressed in new york that people wouldn't want to live in big cities much less and in particular new york and despite that horrible tragedy and we said at the beginning of the show we that was real uh, pain exists suffering is real uh, and despite that, we mo- we were able to say what's next as a society and as a metro area in particular, as a country more broadly and as a world more broadly. We we haven't uh, lived in fear every day of terrorism. We have been able to conquer many of those elements, thank God. And and in that particular instance, I don't know if I'm going to get the timing exactly right, but I think by April or May of 2002, residential – I was living downtown uh, as part of the reason why I was – in that first wave of people that went out when they put on the radio to come down if you had any training in EMS or anything else, EMT, excuse me. And and so I was living there and saw how, you know, real estate rebounded so quickly. I mean, residential real estate, even downtown Manhattan in less than a year was above, the you know, the price on September 10th, 2001. And that was also in the context after... A, we forget this sometimes because of the tragic events of that day. We were also coming out of a brutal time in the market, the bursting of the dot-com bubble. It was a very difficult time in venture capital and entrepreneurship. Yet everything that I've just said pales in comparison to your experience, Ceci, of feeling a a depth of uh, fear and, and pain and disruption that day that that if, that. Uh, occludes any kind of discussion around you know, business and and market environment. So without going into too much detail, because I don't think we have time for that, but um, I've been volunteering now for an ambulance for the last 20 years as a side uh, thing. And um, September 11th, I was dispatched to the World Trade Center initially before there was any... Uh, terrorism or any uh, there was just 
a plane had hit one of the buildings and right, we uh, didn't know we didn't know at that point in that right. first 45 minutes what was going on sure and you know we we were directed by the fire department to uh position ourselves next to uh one of the towers and uh wait for them to bring out patients at that point the firefighters went into the building and we were standing there on west street uh waiting patiently but uh, the patients never came, and really, we witnessed a lot of horror at that time. You know, yeah. people trying to escape the buildings and trying to use their clothing as parachutes, etc. Uh, I still actually never washed the clothing from that day. I still have blood on my shirt uh, and my pants from uh, from that day. I get it. But uh, when the first tower started coming uh, down, I myself and some other people ran across the st- across West Street and uh, we uh, went into this little alcove to like try to protect ourselves and uh, we ended up getting closed in by the debris and uh, came completely dark and uh, I couldn't breathe and really couldn't see anything and I actually remember one of the, my colleagues that was with me at the time I heard him trying to bang on the window of the building across the street to see if he can uh, try to break that window, but it's a really thick glass. and uh, I couldn't see anything. I knew I was going to die at that point, but I uh, heard a couple of gunshots. Um, it, it turned out that one of, a police officer was trapped with us, and he shot through the window of the building, and we were able to escape through that building and get to the to the Hudson River, and eventually I was able to uh, cross and ended up in a hospital for a little while and uh, still have asthma to this day, but definitely got to experience uh, uh, humanity at its low point and uh, Manhattan, for that matter. Um, having said that, I just uh, going back to the discussion at hand, I don't disagree with Liesl. I... Uh, Manhattan is in trouble, uh, at least short term, uh, and I don't believe that things are going to go back right away to the way they were. Um, a lot of people have moved out of Manhattan. Manhattan today, the need of being in such an enclosed space definitely is not on, p- on the top of people's minds. However, there's always a point where people start re-entering, and whether that's a 20% discount or a 40% discount when rents start getting cheap enough. And, you know, Manhattan has beautiful buildings, beautiful office space, beautiful views. It's the center point. There's a lot of restaurants. There's entertainment. There's people. And offices will move back. And it may take a while for it to come back to this level. And it may never look exactly the same way, but it's going to rebound. I appreciate you opening up about that, Ezzy. You know, the in the Jewish tradition, it it's relevant to note that the Talmud states that God answered every question that Moise, that Moses or Moshe Rabbeinu asked of him, except one. That was why do bad things happen to good people? And there, I think, is profound wisdom and release in the knowledge that some things lie beyond the horizon of human understanding and that intelligent design if you're a person of faith and if if you're not then maybe the, the chaos of the universe you know things there are blessings that come out of it there are and again if you don't want to look at it through a religious or a faith-based prism 
there are new opportunities that arise out of that, out of the chaos, in this case, out of the ashes of the world trade. I think for those of us that have lived in New York throughout this period, before and and after uh, September 11th until now, there's a certain type of resilience and um, and and beauty that 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 was able to come forth as a as a community, uh, as a in part as a result or as a something that grew out of out of that. And I'm and it's my hope that we'll see that in this context as as well. Yeah, I I do want to add just um, my the biggest thing that changed for me after 9/11 is my outlook on the world. I I really tried to live life and experience many uh, every moment and I also knew you know you get to feel like things are fleeting but you also realize that you survived and uh, you know you're here for a reason and here to make a change and but the other thing and I think that may be a little bit more important even is you know there's people that have lived through all kinds of different periods of time the Cuban Missile Crisis and you know World War Two, and whenever someone is in Side a really bad situation, they feel like this is it. Right. There's no end to this, and right. I think it gave me a little bit of a macro Why view. Me? This, is, this is it can't get worse than this, etc. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel it gave me a little bit of a macro view rather than just once 9/11 passed and life actually went back to normal. I realized that even the craziest thing, there's still a life afterwards and i think if you're if you're experiencing that right now if you feel like this is it in a few months from now you're not going to feel the same way i mean we are going to take a very patient caller unknown caller it's uh welcome welcome to equal footing thank for thanks for being i'm not unknown <laughs> from another planet <laughs> which planet are you calling from uh this is stan from forest hills i've called you stan, before stan nice to hear you Hey, congratulations on the show again. Thank you for joining. Okay, but your topic tonight is a little, 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 uh, for me, uh, I don't buy your guests to some extent, not all of it. I've been in a war, and I've killed people, okay? The war was called Vietnam, and I lived through that disease mm-hmm. many, many, many years ago, about two, about two years and I got out of it and fine. Now we come to what we have today, which for me, to a large extent, is just another war. It's another battle, except the battle today is invisible. Mm-hmm. And the battle today is survival. Now, I have had an international trading business. I know the topic is entrepreneurism, and how do you survive in the COVID world? It's tough, but you will survive. Those that will, will. Those that will not, will not. That's just the way the world is. That's just the way humankind is. The first reality is, in my situation was, I have an international trading business, which I've had for 15, 20 years, and I had to adjust. One of your guests says, adjust, make changes. That's all you could, you have to do that. Besides watching people die. Yeah, Liesl said it very well. It's not the strong or the brave that survive. It's those who adapt. Well, adapt and so forth uh, for a limited time because my belief is this will be over in about three years. Not next year, not this year, but three or four years because we need to get the cure. 
We need to get the drug. We need to be tested. And the first things may not work or may work and not be good. So by 2023, that's the time I'm giving, things will be much better than it is. It takes that long. Everybody thinks, you know, it's like tomorrow we'll have this thing by November and then we'll have the election. No, 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 no. So, Stan, you blew up my dialectic, right? Because the idea was, is this permanent or temporary? This is you're, saying, you're saying it's, 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 kind, of temp, it's kind of permanent. Well, it's between. permanent up for at least two or three years, maybe four. Fair enough. Once we have a definite solid cure and everybody walks the streets and as we used to be, which will not be as it used to be, but it will happen maybe three or four years down the road. Then maybe we can breathe again. But that might be, sorry to interrupt you, Stan, that might be enough time to to tie that into the way Lisa let off the show. That might be enough time for things to fundamentally shift in a way you can take advantage of. Well, let's let's talk about the real estate industry. It will will lose as far as I can see. But hang hang with me for a second. We're going back to real estate. I'm sorry. Yeah, just you I brought mean, it up. That's why I asked. No, no, fair enough, fair enough. But Liesl, earlier in the show, you you were talking about e-commerce, and I, those numbers have stuck with me. That one out of ten retail transactions were in the virtual world prior to the pandemic, and now it's around four out of ten. Right. I know right. your your business, you're in, in returns, which is obviously intricately. Well, I'm I'm involved in trading products uh, and services. So sorry, I was I was I was speaking to one of our guests, Stan. Sorry, I was tying you, sorry, tying I'm you guys to, together, and then <laughs> sorry, I'll shut sorry. up. So. So, so these are no, obviously I, you're on the return side of the equation, but that meaning when people return items, they order online, but that's obviously intrinsically related to the boom in e- e-commerce. So sure. to Stan's point, if this takes three or four years to pass through, I hate to, I don't want to sound in any way like you're reveling in, in pain, but you're just adjusting and adapting and doing what you can in this circumstance. Isn't that a great thing for your business? I mean, businesses like yours and maybe like Stan's, I mean, can't they also just take advantage of this opportunity? I am. Yeah, I think. Oh, well, I think it's a it's a fantastic thing for our business, you know, and, and less about, oh, well, now everyone needs to return things and we can help. It's more about retailers need to understand that they need to fundamentally change how they operate. I just talked to a retailer the other day, has eight brick-and-mortar stores across the country, had to pivot to online as soon as everything shut down. He has no idea what he's in for when it comes to returns, right, because brick-and-mortar return rates are about 8 to 10%. E-commerce return rate hovers between 40 and 50, right? So his business is just not economically set up to handle that. Um, well, the reason I love to do, that I'm doing what I'm doing, is really to help businesses understand the economics of having a returns policy and what does that do to not just your bottom line but your top line. Um, so I think that is critically important is retailers adapt not just helping them manage the wave of returns that's inevitably going to happen in January, February, whenever. So I, I think that's a nuance that's important to call out. So you and Stan can catch up offline about how to take advantage of the pandemic uh, from a business perspective. We're going we're gonna to take our final break here, and we're going to come back with the most controversial segment of the show and, uh, and tackle a little bit this political framework and thanks to those that are that are that are holding we may have time for one more caller we'll be right back on equal footing equal footing is sponsored by mdcs dermatology your experts in skincare 
With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, MDCS Dermatology provides the most advanced surgical and non-surgical skin treatments in the New York metro area. The dermatologists and skin cancer surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So, schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient Long Island or Manhattan locations. Go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM, where you can schedule an in-person visit or a virtual video visit from the comfort and safety of your own home. That's www.mdcs.live or 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. Welcome back to Equal Hello? Footing. Hi. I got disconnected. <laughs> well, you're back on, Stan. We got okay, you back. Okay, that's all right. You're, you're back on the air. We'll give you, so maybe wrap up your thoughts for a, a minute here, and we're going we're gonna to go to our guest for the last question okay. of the show. Just th- this point. Uh, I have to deal mostly, and for example, international, she's talking retail. I'm talking international trade. I don't have to deal with ocean liners and people. I deal with freighters where there are no people and I'm dealing with product, that hasn't stopped. The freighting of the country and the world continues on, no matter wars, pestilence, diseases. So there it is. Stan, God bless you for saying that. I don't know if anyone anyone has keyed in on this, but the theme song for this show, Equal Footing, is Keep On. And it is exactly about that, Stan. It is whatever's in front of you, whatever obstacle, no matter how low you are, keep on. And uh, and so God bless you, Stan. Gazagazant we'll, uh, to you. Bye bye. All right, so we're in our last segment here. Ezzy Rappaport and Liesl Chang have been gracious enough to join us here this this afternoon, evening. Successful entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. They don't agree on everything, though. So the question on the table, Liesl and Ezzy, is. Is COVID-19 overhyped or underestimated? From a business perspective, is COVID-19 overhyped or underestimated? Liesl. So, you know, this is always a tricky thing because I think this is a disease that we've never really encountered before. And something we talked about earlier, I think where it has what has been grossly underestimated are the repercussions that are happening with not just the pandemic but the quarantine um the lockdown some things we've talked about are like mental health i think education is in dire straits right now with not just higher education but kids who are having to grow up um you know doing remote learning i mean Thank God we have the technology out there to help manage it. But I think there's a lot of areas right now that are being impacted, not just this year and next year, but people are going to feel the impacts five, six, seven, ten years down the line. Um, that is where I think people are, are under, underestimating the severity of what's going on with the pandemic. Um, with regards to the medical aspects of it, you know, I think early on a lot of people weren't quite sure how to navigate the disease, and I think almost everybody, at least in New York, has known somebody or who has a friend who has had it or who has, you know, 
maybe passed away from it. Um, but I do think that what has what is not given enough attention to is is what's going to happen in the future with all the societal and and mental and just just generally the economic devastation that's happening. So you think, in a certain sense, that it's underestimated that the the public the the public health issue is obvious. It's on the table. We're all facing it every single day, wearing our masks, living our lives. But you're talking about consequences that are broadly around other areas of public well-being, mental health, education, economic crisis. Ezzie, do you agree? Absolutely. Overhyped or underestimated? So it can be viewed from several different angles, but I think what's interesting is that COVID has given us a glimpse into all the different parts of the world and how its citizens of, you know, of, of the individual countries and how countries are run. And we're, we're seeing all kinds of different responses. And the interesting thing is that the United States, the way we're set up, where essentially you have 50 different states, 50 different governors, and all kinds of different local governments, and 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 you have these like micro uh, ways of dealing with with things, and specifically now with COVID. But then you have flights going all day long between states where. Right. Things are being dealt with on a different level. And I think what that is causing is that we have a completely incoherent strategy uh, in, in dealing. And I think because of that, it's becoming a way overblown uh, thing. I don't know if thing is the right word, but it's becoming overblown in, in the sense that we would be much better off at this point just living. Right. I, I think if... If we, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that we're not locking down this country. We're not locking down. Every, there's going to be so many different approaches to, and so many different strategies. So if we wouldn't have done this lockdown and if we would sort of acknowledge the fact that America is a country that is really made up of many different countries and without borders, uh, then we would realize that by taking in a way a little bit of a... Uh, uh, p- possibly like a less stringent approach and allowing people to live and getting back to business and getting back to life would have actually helped us tremendously. So from you that know, sense, I think it's definitely overblown. I appreciate both of you being candid in your views. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture into very dangerous territory here at the, at the end of the show. But just the numbers, I think, to some extent speak for themselves. This horrible global tragedy that we're all living through you know, is still to this day cause less than a million deaths worldwide. The World Hunger Organization estimates that this year there will be over 50 million hunger-related deaths, and last year there were less than 10. So the economic devastation is real. The pain and suffering is real. My heart goes out to everybody around the world that's feeling that either directly from, as a consequence of the disease, or indirectly through job insecurity, hunger uh, insecurity, mental health issues, and so forth. My thoughts are with you. Ezzy Rappaport, Liesl Chang, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to be on equal footing next week. Have a great week.